My grandparents' home. On a winter night, sprinkled with countless stars, smoke from burning pignon wood comes through the chimneys. My younger brother and I walk ahead of our parents, guided by the glowing moon rising over the mountains. We're on our way to our grandparents' winter home, within the old walls of Taos Pueblo. We are greeted by the sight, sound, and smell of cedar wood crackling in the horno with the promise of delicious bread and cookies. Later, wide-eyed, we will sit in front of the warm, inviting fireplace, listening to old tribal stories of Coyote the Trickster. I can still remember. Those are the words of Jonathan Warm Day Coming, and this is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Hello, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 265. I'm still in New Mexico. This episode was recorded in Taos. Taos is about mm, an hour and a half north, northeast of Santa Fe, where I had been staying. And it's an incredible, incredible place. The drive up from Santa Fe is so beautiful. I believe there's two options. I think they call it the high road and the low road. But the scenery is otherworldly. And when you arrive in Taos, there, there are mountains everywhere. And there's snow. In fact, after leaving Santa Fe, they got about six inches of snow there. If you weren't aware, a lot of New Mexico is very elevated. To the point where the entire time I've been here, I've been getting nosebleeds. And somebody told me that's due to the elevation. So, as rugged as I think I am, I guess I'm just a city boy. But the mountains are brown and they are sprinkled with, with the snow. It looks like powdered sugar. It looks like giant chocolate cake rising out of the ground. It's really beautiful. And so it's no surprise that in this area, there are a lot of artists. It's an interesting place because... It was housed by the Taos Pueblo people. There is still the Pueblo there where people live. But right now, you can't really visit because of COVID still. But I was really fortunate to be able to sit down with an artist who was born in the Taos Pueblo, and his name is Jonathan Warm Day Cumming. He's a painter. He's the son of a very talented and very well-known artist. And he also, he can do some things with words. That opening piece that I read to you was a sort of description, sort of poem about one of his paintings called My Grandparents' Home. So I was really fortunate that I got to sit down with him in Taos and to learn about his life and his work and the people of the Taos Pueblo. It was an honor to sit with him, and I really hope you guys like this one. If you go to the links in this episode, you will find his website. As always with artists, you know, this is, this is an audio program. And so to really get the full effect, I think you kind of need to sit down and slow down and open up his website and look through his work. We will reference some of his pieces by name, and so you can pull that up so you can see uh, you know, specifically what we're talking about at certain times. But also, maybe you want to buy something. That would be amazing if you could support him. So on his site, he has his books and his works, and you can find out some more stuff about him. So just go to the player that you're listening to this in, and you'll find those links. You could always throw his name into Google, Jonathan Warm Day Coming, and you'll find all sorts of stuff. Also, in the notes for this episode is a link to my Patreon account. 
that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks like things from the road. I sent out some postcards while I've been away so far and I got some stickers and things like that, but I also have TV TV stickers and shirts and all kinds of good stuff. So if you're not able to support that way, you can just tell people about the podcast. Word of mouth is great. I'm The beginning of this year has been fantastic so far. I've had my most downloads ever, so that's really exciting. All right, folks, I hope you enjoy this conversation with the Taos Pueblo artist, Jonathan Warm Day Cumming. To Taos Pueblo Out in New Mexico One night my weary feet did go So I stopped at night so I had all these questions that I researched about you that were very specific to individual works of art. Mm-hmm. And we were staying at a fantastic like refurbished RV this morning mm-hmm. through Airbnb. And they have a pig there, a big pot belly pig. And we were, feed- <laughs> we were feeding it bananas. And all of a sudden I heard this crash from inside the RV. But neither my girlfriend or I were in the RV. So I was like, mm-hmm. what is that? And then I walk inside, and it's my computer with all the questions on it, and it is now broken. Oh, jeez. But thankfully, due to the wonderful technology of Google Docs, I can access it on my phone. And What happened? I don't know. Huh. It must have just slid off of the shelf. Oh. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So first of all, I want to say thank you, first of all, for being patient with me as I tried to set up a conversation with you. Um, but also for hosting me here in this space. Mm-hmm. It's my first time in Taos, and I think I have a lot to learn. So uh, I'm quite fortunate that I get to, to spend this time with you. So thank mm-hmm. you. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. Now, when I have artists on, because this is uh, an audio podcast, and you work in a few different fields, but one of those being visual, mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend to people, if you're driving in your car right now or you're at the gym or something, Take a pause, press pause on the um, on the player that you're listening to this in, and I'm going to have a link to your website that is going to show all of the works that I reference, mm-hmm. and people can use that as a companion guide. Um, you know, when we're talking about art, I don't think you can kind of have the podcast on just a sort of background noise. Like you really need that visual. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever player you're listening to this in, I will link to that, uh, and you can see all the beautiful artwork. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are in Taos, Jonathan, obviously. Are, are we, did we already start? Oh, yeah, we're going. Oh, we're going. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Um, have you lived here your whole life? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I did most of my traveling in my, uh, my youth. My, my parents were both in the military. Uh, our father retired from the Navy, and our mother had been in the... In, in, in the uh, WAC, Women's Air Corps, too. So um, we didn't travel um, because of her. We traveled because of our father. You know, we tra- uh, we lived up in uh, Spokane, Washington. Oh, okay. Oddly, there's a naval base up there, inland, and then we lived there for for a while, my brother and I. I've got a younger brother. His name is Chris, and he's uh, younger by three years. And then uh, we did travel... Uh, to Pensacola, Florida. Mm. There's a big naval station there. So we lived there for a while. And then after that, you know, um, I went to college and traveled not too far from here. So that that's the extent of my uh, traveling and stuff. My brother-in-law is in the Navy. Oh, really? Uh-huh. They're moving to Nebraska next year. And sort of like you're saying, you'd be like, you'd be thinking, well, where's the water in Nebraska? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of strange. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, he re- our father retired from uh, White Sands. Uh, there's another naval base down there in White Sands, really, southern New Mexico. So actually, that's where he re- he was stationed when he retired from the navy. Oh, that's a cool stuff, spot. So yeah. <laughs> uh, how early into life did you discover your artistic abilities? Well, I write in the book that um, that was recently published about our mom. Um, 
she had a big uh, influence in our in my life as an artist and stuff. So when my brother and I were were growing up, she she had artwork available for us, like coloring books and such. You know, just probably to keep her out of her hair. You know, so she could go on with her work mm. in her studio at the Pueblo. So yeah, so it was. I she was very instrumental in me uh, getting into the arts at a young age. Her professional work was drawing, it was cartoons for the Navy? Well, she's, well, talking to some of uh, my uncles, um, they're not living anymore, but uh, her cousins here at the Pueblo, they, they told me when they were kids, they used to gather and, and do art at the Pueblo as kids, you know, uh-huh. like Valentine's Day cards and stuff like that, you know. And then I, I think my mom got to start from that. And then, but it goes w- uh, further back. The book uh, Eva Maribel uh, uh, begins with uh, 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 the research that uh, my co-author did on on her on her parents and her uncles. My mom speaking about that were very instrumental. In, in helping to create the Taos Art Colony here. Uh. They posed for a lot of the earlier really well-known artists that went on to be you know, really well-known, hmm. the Taos Society of Artists. And they posed for a lot of these uh, earlier artists of Taos. And I think that had something to do with influencing even my mom you know, and stuff. She saw her father being painted by some of these earlier artists of Taos. And imagine something had a lot had to do with her, yeah. you know, watching these artists uh, uh, paint uh, her uncles and and uh, her father. Now, we're referencing the Pueblo, and I'm fortunate that I have listeners that are all over the world, and I'm, it's sort of clicking in my head that people, some folks might not know what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. uh, could you sort of like explain what the Pueblo is and who's lived there? Okay. Taos Pueblo is, uh, we're here in Taos, New Mexico, the northernmost part of uh, New Mexico. And uh, Taos Pueblo is the northernmost uh, uh, tribe that's located here in New Mexico. We've got Pueblos all all along the Rio Grande. Mm. And off the Rio Grande, we've got other Pueblos or uh, Acoma Pueblo and Zuni Pueblo. And of course, you've got your more uh, nomadic uh, tribes like the Navajo and the Apaches that uh, also have uh, tribal lands here in New Mexico. But Taos, if you look on a map, is the northernmost uh, uh, tribal people here in New Mexico. And uh, we, we've lived here uh, forever, is what we'd like to say, you know. And we, I call it tribal lands. I don't call it a reservation because mm. we were never relocated were forced onto this reservation like a lot of tribes across the lands were. You know, they were relocated or pushed off oh, yeah. Aboriginal lands and put elsewhere. But we fought to be here, uh, uh, here in, in this part of the area. And I think that uh, can be uh, said with the other Pueblos here. You know, there was a big... Uh, rebellion, uh, in, I think it was in 1680, where the tribes rebelled against Spanish rule. And we forced the Spanish back into, New, into Mexico. Mm. They didn't return for quite a while, quite a number of years. When they came back, everything kind of just, they, they said, you know, well, you know, these, these native people, they're, they went, you know, we can't move them anymore. You know, we tried and stuff, so they couldn't, so we remained here. Wow. So this is our home. I went to the, the Pecos Monument uh-huh. um, just two days ago, mm-hmm. and I didn't know much about it before I went. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was one remnant of like a larger structure there, mm-hmm. and I had assumed that it was Pueblo people, like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And you get there and you, you say, oh no, that was actually like the remains of a church that was there. Mm-hmm. And sort of like you're talking about there, there was a rebellion and that church was, was, you know, was knocked down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a shame to see that, you know, most of the original infrastructure that was there mm-hmm. um, is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's Lyle. Hey Lyle, how's it going? <laughs> okay. Tim. Nice to meet you. I'm Tim. Yeah. And we can keep this in here. We'll uh, we'll just break the fourth wall. <laughs> we're we're recording a podcast. Um, so th- then 
like you were talking about here, people weren't relocated. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there some sort of like uh, legal ownership over the land then that the people have? Like has the United States recognized that? Yeah, you know? we're, we're recognized as a tribe, okay. a, full, a, a full sovereign tribe now, mm. you know, and stuff. So that's how we, you know, nowadays, you know, tribes call themselves nations. And I like that term too, yeah. you know, because we kind of, in all this, you know, the U.S. being a melting pot, you know, a lot of people forget that there were people here before, you know. Mm. People come from all over the world, you know, immigrants and stuff. But I think they have, sometimes they tend to uh, forget that there were other people here before, mm. you know, that had a vibrant uh, uh, community spread all over the you know, this, the U.S., you know, with languages, dance, and everything, you know. And, um, yeah, we, we've been here for, for a long time. I love storytelling. I, oh. I guess that's what happens on this podcast is people tell stories. I also write a bit myself. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about your work is actually the written word that mm-hmm. accompanies a lot of uh, your paintings. I think that you write in such a beautiful and descriptive way. Uh, there's sometimes I think that there's like some natural talent and ability with that, but there's also the influence of reading a lot or being around other storytellers throughout mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, do you attribute that ability to sort of like the oral tradition that you grew up with and mm-hmm. the stories that were passed down to you? That was very uh, uh, much a big part, I, I think, of when I was growing up anyway. I don't, uh, I don't think that happens that much here at the Pueblo anymore, but mm-hmm. we actually gathered, families gathered for storytelling. And when we were kids, our grandfathers did stories, storytelling about True, true incidents and 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 uh, would I say uh, uh, stories about just animals coming to life and, and, and the coyote. Yeah, coyote I noticed stories that in your painting of, yeah. of that nature and stuff. So yeah, we we grew up in a in that atmosphere. That was before television or radio. Mm-hmm. You know, especially inside the the village walls where it's more sacred. That. Uh, stuff like the modern conveniences weren't allowed. So that was our way of entertainment and passing on our history to the kids with storytelling. And sometimes with kids, there's almost like a like a social utility too, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like, you know, there's so many stories of like the dark forest being a scary place, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're a, a small child who might wander off into the forest where... Yeah. Uh, something much larger would eat you. <laughs> yeah. That story serves a, a social function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I noticed in one of your paintings, let me see if I if I wrote down the name of it here, um, but it's so beautiful and there, there are people who are speaking in, oh, the awakening mm-hmm. and there are all these animals and it looks to me, if I'm not mistaken, that there's like what we would call a, a Bigfoot. A Bigfoot, yeah. Can you talk about that? Well, actually, that's not quite related to this area, but uh, I remember—I don't remember the exact time, but a few years back, um, I was contacted by a filmmaker who lives uh, out in the Mora area here in New Mexico, to northern New Mexico, and she was doing a film. And uh, she was doing it for a group of people up in, a, in, in the Great Lakes area. And those are the people that are really, they actually believe in Bigfoot, mm. in their lore, in their creation. Their creation stories involves Bigfoot. Although around here, you know, people, we, ha- we actually have stories about that, you know, too. So maybe it's widespread. Maybe it's something that has to do with uh, the whole North America, you know. Wow. Because there's, a, there's a, a story here that... Uh, that there, there used to be a, a footprint, a giant's footprint in, in a big rock here on, a, on, on tribal land here in Taos, but it disappeared somehow. And nobody knows what happened to that big rock. And a lot of uh, elders still talk about that, that they saw it. There was a, a, a big rock with the, the footprints of a giant here. Wow. So, But anyway, going back, uh, this lady contacted me and said that she was doing a film, a documentary. At this point, I don't quite remember what uh, the whole uh, 
premise was with uh, leading to that story. But uh, so she asked me if I could do a poster for that documentary, and that's how that 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 oh, image you're talking cool. about came about. And I included Bigfoot in it and stuff. So yeah. So that documentary is out already. It's a, it's out. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forget the lady's name. I apologize, but it's been quite some time. Hmm. And I also did another documentary, uh, another poster, film poster for her. Oh, that's cool. But I worked with her on a couple of projects. In a way, um, I see you also as an, an historian kind of through your work. Um, maybe again, maybe I'm mistaken, but it seems like you're documenting a way of life and a culture mm-hmm. that has changed mm-hmm. by the modern day. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering how much... Um, of what you've depicted has remained in the Pueblo and how much Mm -hmm. has changed? I think um, most of the artists, you know, I can safely say that we're doing that, you know. Mm. It might be in a different medium, you know, jewelry. They're doing the same thing in jewelry. They're trying to carry on uh, something that's been done, an art form that's been done by earlier artists. We're just trying to, and then passing it on to, to the younger generation of artists. And I'm doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm thinking sort of, uh, like even here, I'll give an example. Uh, you have a painting in front of us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of your paintings depict what to me looks like uh, a very communal way of living, mm-hmm. a very tight-knit social mm-hmm. grouping. Mm-hmm. Uh, are things still that way or has that changed? Uh, it's changed a lot. Mm. You know, I have to admit that. I wish you know, I didn't have to, but it's changed, you know. Uh Case in point, when I was growing up, um, there wasn't any modern conveniences at the Pueblo. There was no electricity on tribal lands, and I think until the early 70s. And I remember coming into town and, and going to the public schools here, and uh, the kids in the classroom would be talking about what they saw on TV the night before. And I always kind of felt left out, you know, and I think a lot of kids felt that way, you know, mm-hmm. that you come from the Pueblo and those who who, who uh, went to school here in town, you know, they kind of felt, you know, what's, what are they talking about and all this stuff, you know. But so then electricity came onto the tribal lands. I think that was in early 70s. And I think there was sort of like an exodus of, of uh, people that moved out from their traditional homes within the, in, within the walls of the Pueblo. There's a, a wall that actually surrounds the Pueblo. And uh, in there, there will never be uh, any uh, electricity. Of course, people now bring in battery-operated radios or have propane in there, you know, and stuff like that. But as far as actual electricity... Um, being allowed in there, I don't think that's going to happen. But back in the 70s, uh, when electricity was allowed on onto the uh, under the reservation, my family included, you know, uh, we had a, a homestead outside the walls of the Pueblo, so we had opportunities to move back and forth within the old traditional village and outside the village. Mm-hmm. But I think when that happened, a lot of people permanently moved because you really couldn't deny your kids all this stuff, you know, you know, the modern conveniences, you know, be it a telephone or television, electricity, indoor plumbing and things of that nature. So actually it was then that the doors were opened. And I think a lot of people took advantage of that, you know, and moved, uh, uh, I think permanently, not permanently, but uh, built homes, you know, uh, or or had their old homes uh, fitted with these modern conveniences. So I think that was when things really changed at the Pueblo. That's interesting because I think that there's a point of diminishing returns mm-hmm. with a lot of modern conveniences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on a large scale, if you look at society today, even internationally, mm-hmm. uh, society is pretty sick uh, and, and, and things seem at times like they're spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. And to me, at least it feels as if a lot of people are looking at older ways of living mm-hmm. and looking for a way to return to that, even in, in diets, mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle and things mm-hmm. like that. 
And I think that there's a lot to be learned mm-hmm. uh, from those older ways of living, such as uh, the life in the Pueblo. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't deny the fact that sometimes when, when like when you're, you know, uh, talking about things that are happening globally right now, you know, you tend to think, you know, I feel safe here mm. on tribal lands. You know, I feel, you know, uh, even though we're part of the bigger part of the of the of the country and we're part of the U.S. government, I still uh, I feel that that uh, I'm not a part of the country. Mm. You know, I, I'm I'm still trying to hold back. You know, and be a part of the old. You know, and I that part of me I think kind of uh, holds me back from really. Uh, I don't know, maybe say being a part of this whole global mess that's going on, you know, I, I can, I can kind of hold back onto the old, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine that is probably pretty difficult for younger people today too, what you're talking about, sort mm-hmm. of that identity being pulled between mm-hmm. different worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that would be hard. Yeah. yeah. Even my age, I still struggle with that, mm. you know. And and I sympathize with uh, people that are older than I am. Mm. You know, they they see things disappearing probably. And uh, at some point maybe I, uh, I will see things that are, are, that are going to vanish too. Mm. You know, we're struggling with our language right now. You know that that I think that's happening across all the Indian lands in in, in in the country, you know, and stuff. Right now, I'm waiting to hear back from a group of people from the Midwest, a group of tribes that are trying to help um, retain their keep their languages. And uh, as an illustrator, they contacted me and they said they're going to be sending me a story, which they want me to illustrate. And these are the some of the things that are actually happening. You know. Language is disappearing and stuff. So, mm. yeah. I went to college at Stony Brook on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the gentleman's name, but there's a professor there um, because there were a lot of people who were native to, to Long Island, the east mm-hmm. end of Long Island especially. Every town and uh, village in Long Island has its name taken from um, indigenous people mm-hmm. there. And he has a program where he's trying to preserve the languages and even teach it through courses there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've reached out to him. I think that's actually really fantastic work. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were mentioning before we were recording that uh, if I had come pre-COVID, I would have been able to visit the the Pueblo, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Uh, how much of an impact has the pandemic had on the Pueblo? Well, oddly, I think it's kind of, People had complained, or uh, even outside people, you know, now they say, hey, I, I bet you, you know, you you guys out there kind of like this because you don't have all the tourists coming, you know. But the tribe did take a break at some points, you know. Uh, there were certain times of the year where, where our religious activity or ceremonials was, you know, uh, uh, didn't allow even they they closed the pueblo during these times and they they they've done that all along when uh, certain ceremonies or religious activity is going on at the pueblo they completely closed the pueblo for for maybe a few months at a time oh okay yeah mm-hmm. but anyway you know a lot of friends you know did tell me you know I'll bet you guys are sort of enjoying this <laughs> time where you don't have tourists you know uh flocking out to the Pueblo and stuff. Yeah. But then there's also sort of the benefit that there's so many artists in this region. Mm-hmm. And if there are more tourists, then there's a market for those artists. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't quite know what the answer to that is, but that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's so much in your paintings that I look at and like I'm just infinitely curious about and I wanted to expand upon. So I wrote down some of them. Um, and the first thing I wrote down was, who are the village callers? The village callers. That happens to this day. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
if there's something going on out at the at at the pueblo, be it you know the cleaning of ditches or or dances that are uh, are are going to happen or some sort of news that has to be dispersed among villagers, there'll be actually men that climb to the highest rooftops and do that. They call out village callers. They'll actually go out and climb climb to the highest uh, dwelling and 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 disperse the news, whatever it be that needs to be uh, told to the Just people. Yell it out. Yell it out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still happening to this day. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, I was curious about. Uh, because I saw this come up in a few of your works, I think, but mm. Blue Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about it? Well, you know, me included, I can't share too much about that, you know. Although there's so much has been already shared, you know. It, it, it's a lake high up in in, in, in our mountains here. Oh. And there's an actual lake. And, and that's where we go for our pilgrimages, for our religious purposes. And at one point, uh, it was taken from the tribe by the United States government. And we weren't allowed even uh, the tribal members to go up there and, and worship and participate in our, in our religious activity. And this happened quite for quite a while. And uh, through the courts, and, and we, we finally got the land back. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was, I, a, it was a long struggle for for the, the tribe to actually get the land back. I saw just this morning, actually, that there was some artwork uh, in town. I think I passed like maybe like a shipping container that was painted. And then I saw some graffiti as well related to water. Mm. And I was wondering if it was that or if there was some other sort of like socio-political issue mm. with water here. Well, right now there's, a, there's an exhibition going on, if I'm correct, at the Harwood Museum here. Just right behind the plaza here, and uh, that exhibition is about Blue Lake and our struggle. So I advise Maybe, you to go yeah. down there and 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 uh, walk through the exhibition. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, uh, is it difficult to get to Blue Lake? Can you can you hike there? We can, but you can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, something else that I knew absolutely nothing about mm-hmm. uh, was Smoky Bear actually coming from a real story that's local to this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you share that story? Well, when we were growing up, uh, there used to be a group of elite, which we call now elite firefighters from, uh, from the Pueblo. And some of my uncles were on, the, on that group of firefighters. These were just ordinary firefighters. They wanted to make a living. So when a fire happened here in the southwest someplace, you know, they, they hopped on a bus and were taken to these fires all over the southwest. And they were really good at firefighting. And they were called upon many times to, to fight some of the most extreme fires here in the southwest. And uh, these were our ordinary uncles, grandparents, fathers who did this for mm-hmm. quite a number of years. And... Uh, they called themselves the snowballs because of the helmets that they wore. Somebody, oh. somebody joked in, from their group that their helmets looked like snowballs and stuff. So the name stuck, and that's what they called themselves. And the story goes they went to a huge fire south in southern New Mexico, and uh, that's where they, uh, they were actually responsible for saving Smokey the Bear. But that story was never told. I mean, that story was, they, they said it was some other, I think an army group from one of the bases down in southern New Mexico mm. or another firefighting team from elsewhere that were credited with uh, saving Smokey the Bear. But it, that didn't happen. It was a group from Taos Pueblo that were actually there and, and saved the little bear. But their story was never told. And uh, from time to time, I heard that story, you know, and there was other writers that tried to do something about that, you know. And uh, some years back, you know, I actually did a painting, which appears in the book, uh, in the book on my mom. And uh, I actually talked to, uh, 
I think they were the last two surviving members of that group. And wow. one of them was in tears when he was telling me that story. Can I show it in the painting that I did? And he was actually really emotional telling that story because, um, you know, as we all know, Smokey the Bear is a global icon now, you know, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. Right. And uh, this, this group of men from the Pueblo never got to tell their story. You know, they were left out of the whole whole thing and stuff. So he was pretty upset, and he was happy that I had did this uh did the, uh, did the painting, but uh, someday maybe I'd want to do a complete story, I mean like a, a children's book on, on the whole thing, which I already have. I've written uh, some lines and have some ideas about to do it, but you know I've got other things going on. But I think this is an important thing too. Yeah, you can go to any national park and see a depiction of Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I always had assumed that it was just sort of created and mm-hmm. had no backstory. So mm-hmm. that, that was really interesting to discover through your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you have a piece that has, it, it's so beautiful. It's a, it's a Christmas celebration scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I should just be looking at the beauty of the painting and focusing on the beauty. But I was thinking that, in that painting and in some of your, your other paintings where you'll have uh, churches and they are mm-hmm. quite beautiful to look mm-hmm. at and there's obviously the cross on the churches. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering sort of that, that juxtaposition of the Pueblo people and what the church could potentially represent being the Spanish people mm-hmm. and sort of like what you're going through painting that if you have mixed emotions mm-hmm. um, or if that's just sort of like a regular part of the visuals that you see nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, here in the Southwest, I think there's a, you know, of course, because of what happened, our history and stuff with the Spanish, you know, um, I think a lot of uh, tribes... Uh, You know, had had these churches and 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 built on on on, on uh, tribal lands, mm. and uh, nowadays, I mean, now at present time, I think there's a you know a lot you hear of a lot of these statues being torn down. You know, be it blacks uh, tearing down statues of Confederate soldiers and stuff, and that actually happened here in New Mexico too in the Santa Fe Plaza. Really. Some I think was it last year or a couple of years ago they a group of people tore down uh, some sort of monument that stood in the plaza having to do with the uh, with this whole incident we're talking about or mm. not incident the whole time the era that we're talking about the Spanish coming to New Mexico and and having this negative uh, impact. On, on, on native people, you know. It, it wasn't colorful, you know, mm. definitely. You know, there were uh, our, our grandparents, you know, our, our, you know, I heard, you know, that, you know, they almost they were talking about genocide here. Mm. And I agree with that. You know, a lot of, uh, um, there was a lot, a terrible loss here in, 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 in the U.S., not just with Pueblo people, but Plains people, Eastern people, and and the people, the Mission Indians in in, in California, you know, and stuff. A lot, lot of terrible things happened to the to the uh, uh, indigenous people here in the uh, in the Americas, which the Catholic people, Catholic uh, churches have not. Uh, uh, said that they're. You know, they're sorry about what happened mm. to us. They haven't. I'd love to see the Pope at some point, mm. you know, make a certain day and say, hey, we're sorry what happened. But uh, I, uh, you hear of a lot of things going on now, people standing up uh, to what happened to us years ago, you know. Yeah, does it feel to you that there, there's more of like a, a social awakening now, maybe more than ever? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've always kind of 
kind of keep that up, you know, be it, you know, when we, when our, when our elders, you know, uh, uh, fought for and got the land back, you know, uh, Blue Lake, I'm talking about Blue Lake, you know, it was a, it was a long struggle, 60 some years, I believe, uh, to get the land back. So we've, there's been a constant struggle, you know, for, for our rights to retain our rights and stuff, you know, but, uh, Funny, I think you know a lot of a lot of the things that kind of resurface now with other cultures happened because of of, of the, the black gentleman that we all know about that got killed back east. What was his name? Floyd. George Floyd. Yeah. Don't you think so? When that happened, I think a lot of people took notice. Oh yeah, it was like a spider webbing effect, and he was and that yeah, just not he was at the center of that. It, just didn't happen here in the in the U.S. It happened all over the world. You know, yeah. a lot of people say, "Hey, this is enough," and it brought a lot of issues to surface. Not just uh, black issues, but all sorts of other issues having to do with uh, a lot of other people. Yeah, my my hope is that the momentum with that keeps going. Mm-hmm. Like with the news cycles, like the next thing happens and we forget about the last thing. Mm-hmm. So right now it's Ukraine, and we forgot yeah. about everything before that. Um, but but I do think, at least in my lifetime, we probably in large part due to the ability to communicate via the internet, like mm-hmm. we are at a point of social awakening. Maybe mm-hmm. we're in like the infancy stages of that, but mm-hmm. uh, my hope is it, it leads to something that is uh, more utopian than, than dystopian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about, we've referenced it a few times, but the book about your mother, mm-hmm. what that process was like for you, because it sounds like you were interviewing people, you were rediscovering things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in doing that, did you learn a lot more about your mom than you had already known? Uh, yeah, I did. And I think I, I'll continue to learn, you know. I mean, I've had uh, some calls, you know, after the book has been published about people telling me that certain uh, things about my mom that I didn't know or the whereabouts of certain paintings that I didn't know about, you know. So that's a, a neat thing about it, you know. Once this book, I think, uh, it's just been out maybe a couple of years now, maybe less than that, you know, and I'm beginning to learn things about her. You put that together during the pandemic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people who, who actually, like, owned her paintings reached out to you and said, like, here's a piece you may not know about? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think that's going to continue to happen, you know, because like I said, it's just on the bookshelves just recently, you know. So I think that as time goes along, there'll be I'll be getting a lot more inquiries and about her and her, and her work. What uh, What are you working on now? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, just yesterday, I think I kind of just finished rewriting. I don't know for the. Tenth time, a, a, a short novel that I'm doing, and it's called Bringing Rain, a Taos Pueblo story, and it's about a little boy who grows up in a depression era here at the Pueblo, and he's got a sister and a mom, a mother and a father, and the, the, like I said, the story picks up during that time in the 30s, during the depression here, and the story will you know, take off from there and uh, all the way into World War II. And I'm taking bits and pieces of my own uh, family's history, telling this story about this young boy who's growing up in, uh, during that time, and he becomes a participant uh, during World War II. He enlists there, so uh, I won't tell the whole story, but I think... Um, um, I, I recently illustrated uh, another book, which is has just been printed and it's called White White Buffalo. In fact, it's uh, the book stuck in, in, in some of the shipping containers oh, out yeah. there someplace <laughs> right now. And I think water. we're, we're going to have uh, hopefully a book signing sometime this summer. And oh, it's cool. the newest project that I've completed. But I'm, uh, when I did that book for this, uh, the author, I let him take a sneak peek at this book I'm, I'm, I'm still doing and he loved it. And he mm. said, this book has to be uh, published. So he said, I'll help you publish it. So um, I think uh, that that book and another book called uh, 
Tas Pueblo of Painted Stories. This one right here, hmm. uh, which was uh, in its third printing before it. Uh, yeah, I can help you with that. We got a little mic Before it went out of print. So anyway, that's another project that I'm working on that uh, I want reprinted. So, uh, yeah, so there's several projects that I want to do. I saw somebody in Italy had reached out to you, too, mm, to That's the person that I'm doing the, uh, the uh, just finished the project for. Have you ever had people um, reach out from other countries who sort of identified with the subject matter that, that you paint and talk about in a similar way to where like the, what we were just talking about what happened with George Floyd influenced other groups. The, the story here in America is a story that's happened in other places throughout the world. So I was wondering if, if anyone's ever reached out to you and like identified with that, even though they are not, um, you know, from the Pueblo or Native American. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I think there's a very big, Curiosity, especially with the European people, mm. from what I've heard, having to do with native people. You mm. know, there's actually people that actually gather and hold these mock uh, tribal gatherings, especially I think in the Netherlands or someplace or Germany, there's actual group of Germans and people uh, from that area that actually get together and hold native celebrations. I never knew that. Yeah. What I heard, yeah. So there is a definite fascination with uh, our culture, you know, in Europe and probably elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do, like I mentioned, everyone listening right now already knows because whatever the player mm -hmm. they're listening to this in, they can see the links. But I will have a link to your website and a place where people can learn more about you mm -hmm. but also to purchase the books. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, is there anything else that we should sort of plug and, and make people aware of before we sign off? Uh, bringing Rain, a Taos public story. Mm. I think, I don't want to say that, but, you know, because, you know, I think, who knows what's on the horizon, you know, and stuff. As an artist, you know, we don't want it to end because there's so much creativity going on and stuff like that and in our lives and which we want to keep on doing, you know, that's, that's what keeps me going. Mm. That's what uh, I wake up to, you know, each day with a new creative thought in my mind, you know, and that's a neat thing about being, I think, an artist, you know, we don't punch somebody else's clock, you know, we punch our own clock. And uh, so it's an endless thing, you know, with the creative juices flowing. And that's a neat thing about it. So I don't know what, what's next for me. Mm. But the neat thing about it is through the Internet, you know, people have sought me out for different projects. And I don't know if that would have... It, it's, it's strange, this whole Internet thing. <laughs> people from all over the world can find you. And that's happened, you know, in the beginning, you know, I was kind of, does that really work? You know, I never, being from the old school myself, I, I hardly know how to operate my cell phone, you know, and stuff. So I've got my, my daughters helping me with that, you know, with marketing my work and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of leery about stepping into that, into that world, you know, the Internet world. But I, I think nowadays, as an artist, it's almost necessary. Mm, yeah. You know. You can't avoid it. More so because of a lot of the um, galleries closed for a while. Mm. And there went your, you know, how to market your, your artwork and stuff. So it's starting to open up again. Case in point, uh, Lyle's Gallery, where we're sitting at, you know. But uh, so I don't know what's down in the horizon, but... This book that I'm um, I'm gonna hopefully publish or have published hopefully by next Christmas, uh, bringing rain a toss pillow story. I think I, that's sort of I don't want to say it's a, a culmination of my whole career or whatever because I don't know what's beyond that. That might be a sequel to that mm -hmm. book. What I'm already thinking about. 
but uh, it's a wonderful story. And I've had a gentleman from who taught English and Native American history at the University of Michigan, uh, a retired professor who relocated to Taos, who lives here now, read the story and he loves it. And he said, you've got you've, you've to have this published. So uh, uh, when somebody like, like him, you know, tells you something like that, you know, it keeps me, I, I've got to do this. So that, that's very much on, on my list of, of things to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be following along with whatever comes next after okay. that because I'm sure there will be much mm-hmm. uh, to see and to listen to and, and to watch along with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe the next time I'm out in this mm-hmm. part of the world, we'll mm-hmm. do a part two. Okay. Uh, yeah. Before we leave, I'd like to introduce Lyle here. Yeah, you can you come on. Mind, you sure, know, of I course. Think, uh, He's uh, very much uh, a part of this this time, you know, when when he stepped up and like I've you know I've said before, you know, um, with things not happening out out at the pueblo, this I'll call him a young guy because he is younger than me. <laughs> that he stepped up and really, he's young, and he took it upon himself to put this gallery together to help his people, the, the creative people, have a venue. That's amazing. And I really, really thank him for that. You know, I don't know how far he's going to take it, but this is a beginning, I think, for him. Well, Lyle. And he's an artist himself. He's a jeweler, very fine jeweler. So, Is that your work that you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will link to your shop too in the player so that when people come to Taos, you can, you can adjust that arm if you want to. Um, but when people come to Taos, uh, and they listen to this episode, they'll find your shop too. Okay. 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 Cool. Cool. Well, thank you both. Um, thanks for helping me get here as well. Um, it's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure. So thank you so much. All right, Voyagers. That's a wrap on episode 265 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I'm having a really good time in New Mexico. I really think you have to visit. If it hasn't been on your, you know, your your bucket list or your wish list or whatever, throw it on there. I'm really excited to see what is going to happen in the days to come. I've got some more episodes that are going to be coming your way. So I hope you will stay tuned in. Okay, Voyagers, I'm going to sign off and say, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you all very, very soon.